Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. I'm Pastor Aaron, and we are thrilled to have you with us this morning for our worship service. It's about to begin. If you haven't done so already, now is the perfect time to go and find your seat. When you came in this morning, you should have received a bulletin. You'll also find a pen in the seat back pocket in front of you taking notes. If you forgot your Bible this morning, no problem, we've got you covered. Just pick up and use one of our Bibles that are located right by the sound booth. And if you need a Bible, keep it, our gift to you. 
If you're joining us online, welcome. We're thrilled to have you with us as well. Uh, please let us know you're here by filling out the online connection card at estespark.church. Now, as we prepare our hearts for worship, we want to make sure that we remove distractions. So let's also take a moment to pull out our cell phones and to put them onto silent or do not disturb. And as we do that, here are a few announcements of some of the great things that are happening this week at the church. come off those boxes, you've never seen such pure joy. This is amazing. As you can see, the children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just a child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. Operation Christmas Child is in full swing here at CCEP. But we only have two weeks left to collect gift boxes for less fortunate children around the world. So pack a shoebox and bring it right here to the church before November 13th and bless a child with the love of Jesus. God has called every believer to be a good steward of what he has given them, including our finances. Finances can cause a strain on our marriages, our homes, and even our mental health. And yet, the average American consumer owes almost $100,000 in debt. If you're in debt or just bad at stewarding your money well, you're not alone. Most people have no idea where to start making changes. But we have great news for you. Starting next week, November 6th, during the Sunday school hour at 9.30, Keith Pearson, financial coach and elder here at CCEP, will begin teaching through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University will teach you how to manage your money well by living like nobody else, so that someday in the future, you can live and give like no one else. If you're interested in turning your financial life around and receiving financial peace, just write FPU on the back of your connection card and sign up for this life-changing seminar. Every person in this church family who has been saved by the grace of God has also been given gifting and purpose to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this church and in this world. In fact, it is when we use these gifts for the glory of God that we become most satisfied and fulfilled as people. So if you're ready to find out where you fit into God's plans using the gifts that He has given you, we have exciting news for you. Next week on Sunday, November 6th, during the Sunday School Hour, licensed professional Christian counselor Becky Leverington will be teaching a Say Yes seminar which will help you uncover your unique gifting from God 
and where you fit into his kingdom. Be all that God has called you to be by attending this seminar that will help you say yes to understanding how God has uniquely gifted you and where you can use those gifts within the church. If you're interested in joining this seminar, just write, say yes, on the back of your connection card. Today is a baptism Sunday, and you know what that means? We get to finally break in our brand new baptistry this afternoon. But more importantly, we get to witness people who have trusted in Christ publicly profess their faith. We are so excited to come around several of our brothers and sisters in Christ and celebrate with them as they take this next step of faith in baptism. If you've never been baptized, but you would like to take this next step too, it's not too late. Just talk to one of our pastors after service. Baptisms will be taking place after second service today at 12 p.m. So if you're in first service, come on back to church at noon. And if you're in second service, just stick around for a little while afterwards to celebrate and affirm the grace of God for those who are taking this beautiful next step of faith. Good morning, church. Hey, let's stand. We're going to worship today. And here's a call to worship this morning. This is from Psalm 150. The author writes this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. And praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and with dance. Praise him with strings and with pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just to show a hand. Who's got breath this morning? All right. That command was for you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us uh, a desire to see your glory this morning, to, to behold the greatness of who you are, uh, not just the mighty things that you have done, and you have surely done incredible things in all of our lives, but Lord, let us behold you, the, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Lord, let us behold uh, the greatness of who you are, that you are strong in power and mighty to save. Let us, let our souls feast on, uh, on your character, that you are so, so good and kind to your people. Lord, give us a song in our hearts that we can sing to you, not uh, with any uh, falseness of worship. But Lord, I pray that uh, our song would rise to you as genuine and true, that, that it would be like sweet incense rising to your throne, Lord God. Lord, we, we pray as, as those who have, you have given breath and sustained through today, Lord, we want to praise you this morning. Lord, so put joy in our hearts, capture our eyes, and Lord, I pray that our song would be true, that our worship would be true. Lord, we love you and we praise you this morning because of who you are. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord their God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever.
the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand generations sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Forever he shall reign. So let it be today we shall bring again. beautiful morning to talk to the Lord. So let's turn to him in prayer this morning, whatever is on your heart, things that may be distracting you right now from being in the presence of the king. But if there was a king that was actually coming to this church, I don't think we would miss that appointment. So let's not miss that disappointment this morning with him.
turn our prayers this morning and pray collectively as a church as we start this new series called Throne Room, which is all about the glory of God. Let's pray that we would have a desire to see the glory of God, that we wouldn't be complacent with him just being a distant point of light, but that we would truly desire to see and experience his glory. Let's turn our prayers now for those who are uh, leaders in our local and our national governments. Gosh, do we need God there now more than ever. Let's pray that God would, would bless them, that he would lead them, that he would draw their hearts to him. God, Heavenly Father, glorious King. Lord, we lift these prayers up to you as an act of faith and trust that you do, in fact, hear us and that you do, in fact, care. That the things that weigh heavy on our hearts are the things that you want us to give up to you because you have the strength to carry them. So, Lord, we ask that you would shoulder our burdens this morning. That, that as many of us may be weathered in this room and, and tired. Lord, that we would have uh, grace given to us. 
in order to lift these things up to you. And so, Lord, these things that we've prayed for this morning, we, we place together into your careful hands, trusting and knowing that you will see to it, that you are glorified in all of these things. And, Lord, that's what I desire to see the most, not for our comfort, but for your glory to be put on display. That, that the whole world may stand in awe at the greatness of our God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. As the ushers come and bring communion around and take those, and we're going to take those together at the end. But hear the word of the Lord this morning. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This passage reminded me of a story I heard once. There's a man living in his house all alone, and his house represented his life, right? So the living room kind of represented, like, all the things he puts his, his time, his leisure, his pleasure into. Uh, so all the different rooms, they kind of, uh, they represented a different facet of his life. And one day, Jesus comes and knocks on the door and says, Hey, I want to come stay with you. I want to live here with you. And, and the man is kind of embarrassed because he's got the king of the universe showed up at his door, and his house is just a, a disaster. I mean, his life is just a absolute mess. And so he's real embarrassed that Jesus just showed up. And Jesus says, No, 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 I want to come in. And matter of fact, I want to clean your house for you. So the man is kind of like red in the face, but finally lets Jesus in. Uh, and Jesus gets down on his hands and knees, goes to the living room, gets down on his hands and knees and just starts to clean and, and cleans up the living room so spectacularly that the man is so excited. He says, well, come to the kitchen now. Come, come to the kitchen, clean that. And so Jesus, again, gets down on his hands and knees and just scrubs and scrubs, puts some grit into it until the kitchen is clean. So the man leads him to all the rooms in his house, which represents his life. And at the end of the day, him and Jesus were sitting down at the table having some iced tea, talking. And Jesus looks at the man and said, something stinks. And the man's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't smell anything. Let's just enjoy our iced tea, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, something stinks. And so Jesus begins to walk through all of the rooms of the house trying to find where the smell is coming from. And then finally, he, he follows his nose to the back corner of the highest level of the house in this back room and there's this closet and Jesus says this is where it's coming from and so he goes and he tries to open the door but it's locked and the man is like sweating behind him like Jesus like just forget it just forget it it's fine like but Jesus says like I, unless you let me clean this closet too I can't stay here I'll, I'll sleep on the porch but I, I can't stay here 
Like there's still darkness in here. There's something filthy, dirty that I need to clean. And so the man, embarrassed and full of shame, finally just throws the key down on the floor and runs away crying from the shame of what was in that closet. You know what Jesus did? Picked up the key, opened the door, and got down on his hands and knees and cleaned. And I think sometimes when we hear this passage, draw near to the throne of grace, like Jesus gets it, like he, he understands our weaknesses and our failures, like he's not like a mean bully on an anthill just ready to fry you when you confess your sin to him. The reality is that Jesus wants every part of your life, like like the, the dirty, filthy back closet that you keep under lock and key because of the embarrassing secrets that you hide in there. Like Jesus wants that too. And so let's take a moment and let's do some personal inventory before we take communion together. What, what's in your closet? What does Jesus need to clean this morning? And would you take time just to give that over to him? come to the table of the Lord together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, church, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, I thank you for the beautiful gift of your throne of grace. Lord, that we don't have to be scared or nervous or ashamed so as to not bring the things that are dirty and filthy and, and sinful in our lives to you to clean them, to clean us and cleanse us from our sin. Lord, that there is no sin to uh, deep or dirty or disgusting that would cause you to turn your face away from us and reject us. But Lord, you, you encourage us and exhort us to come near to the throne of grace, to receive grace and find mercy. And so Lord, we do that this morning. We, we draw near to your throne of grace as we look for your grace and for your mercy. 
to cleanse us of our sin and to give us strength to overcome those sins in the future. Lord, we thank you that you are such a gracious and a kind God, that you don't turn your back on us, but you know, you understand our struggle and our weakness, and you invite us to the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, but the throne of grace. Lord, we thank you for your kindness towards us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. Whether you're here in person or joining us online today, we are so glad to have you with us. If you are a guest, we have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you haven't already received your copy, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. This week, we'll be in our series, Throne Room, Beholding the Glory of the King. There are so many things in our world that can distract us and make God seem small to us. During the series, our pastors will be helping us get our eyes and our hearts back onto the throne of God so that we can once again behold his greatness, glory, and power. If God has felt small, distant, or ineffectual to you lately, then this is the series for you. Before we get started, let's talk about the green connection card in your bulletin. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're ready to take some next steps as the service progresses, and it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those steps. One of our pastors will share more about those steps at the end of today's service. So hold on to your connection card and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. You can also give online at our website, estespark.church forward slash give. Now that we've gone over the connection card, Let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message. Well, good morning. Yeah. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron, and you're here when we start our new series, Throne Room. I'm glad that you are. Uh, this is a very special Sunday. Uh, one of the things that we get to do today is uh, fifth Sunday. We take a special offering for our missions to support our missions uh, ministry and, and all the missionaries and the things that we get to support there. And it's a great thing. Um, last year, I want to appreciate you guys uh, really stepped up and we were able to increase uh, our support for them in a year that was really, really needed, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, and so far this year, unfortunately, we're just a little behind, about half of what we normally would expect to be raising it so we don't have to cut back from next year. And so uh, this Fifth Sunday, we're going to do is to take a special offering, and, and all of that's going to go to our missions, our kingdom commitment for all of the missionaries that we do support. And uh, how you can do that is uh, on, in your bulletin, there is a, and on the back seat of the seat in front of you, there is a giving envelope. And if you make an offering to missions, just mark down on the side there to missions, and 100% of that goes to our missions uh, funds. And uh, what we do is we save all those funds for a year. Whatever we have is. Uh, collected in for an entire year, then we divvy up and we are able to send it to our missionaries, support them in the following year. You can also give online at estespark.church on the give button there, just select missions and uh, to do that. And just to uh, let you know, if we had 
uh, every one of our church families to families uh, would commit to $15 a month. Uh, we would fully fund our missions and actually be able to increase them just a little bit. And if you haven't done that, that's really, that's the cost of driving to Fort Collins and back, probably a little less right now. And so if you could uh, donate a valley trip uh, to uh, bringing the kingdom of God to all over the world, that would be a great thing for you to do. And you can, uh, obviously you can give online, uh, set that up as a repeating gift if you'd like, or just every single month, drop it off in there. So there you go. In addition to our missions uh, thing, there's a pie contest and a fellowship meal after this. So hopefully uh, you'll stick around for that. And there was something else. What was it? Oh yeah, we're having a baptism. And uh, you might have noticed we have a new piece of furniture here. I want to thank you all for providing this. Uh, we had a, a baptistry that we've had for many, many years, and it got a little bit nasty and rusty. And I was afraid if I was baptizing people that we might introduce them to Jesus a little too soon because of illness. <laughs> and uh, because of your offerings of giving, we were able to uh, have this wonderful new baptistry. And so we'll get to try it out today. I have some, several families that'll be baptized. I encourage you to come back at 1230 for that. If you have not been baptized in expression of faith, uh, come talk with me after the service and we'll help you take that important step of faith. All right. So with that, let's get into our series, uh, Throne Room. Uh, the reason we decided uh, to do this series about a year ago is we knew that there was going to be an election coming up. And it seems like uh, when elections happen, people get a little weirded out and um, can get angry and mean. And, and sometimes as Christians, uh, we lose focus. And it's important for us to remember who really is on the throne. And so we understand then what we're supposed to do here and now. And uh, so the next four weeks, we're going to be going through different uh, visions of the heavenly throne room and what that teaches us about God and also what that teaches about how we're supposed to respond here on this world in, in turbulent and difficult times. And so our memory verse for the series that we picked out is Hebrews 4.16. We're going to end our series in Hebrews, actually, as we, we go on to that. But uh, just the kind of the punchline to the end of all of this four weeks is that we have a God who sits on the throne. He invites us to come towards Him. We don't have to run away from Him. And so in your uh, bulletin, on your connection card, there's that Bible memory verse card. I want you to take home and to memorize that and to spend some time with it. It's a great tool. But what it says is, let, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I want you to think about that how we're to, we can boldly go before God's throne to receive grace. Think about that as we go through today's uh, passage. And that's going to be in Ezekiel uh, chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn them to Ezekiel chapter 1. And if you're probably like, where on earth is Ezekiel in the Bible? Well, it's in the Old Testament. And if you turn your Bible in half, and then you do kind of like three quarters to the, to the Old Testament, it's going to be right there. It's in, the, it's in the prophets. It's where it's at. In our Bibles, it's, uh, if you're using one of ours, it's at page 575 is where we are. And Ezekiel is an interesting book. In fact, if you read Revelation, things a lot of the stuff we find in Revelation comes from Ezekiel. He's a prophet. Uh, he writes all kinds of interesting things. In fact, uh, Ezekiel, we find the Valley of the Dry Bones people uh, that's a story or a vision that he had that most of us have heard about. And Ezekiel was an interesting dude. Uh, he was one of the only prophet priests in the, uh, Israel. He was a priest, but he was also was given visions to be a prophet as well. And so he was like uh, Zechariah and uh, Jeremiah were the other two prophets that were also priests. Uh, and this t was written, the book, when he had these visions, was, uh, uh, was a time of Judah's bondage to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, and you're going to see why that matters. It's kind of at the very beginning of it. And Ezekiel was a young man coming of age, uh, 
going to be start his, his priestly career at the beginning of this. And God shows up because he says, you're not just going to be a priest, you're going to be a prophet. And he needs to make sure that Ezekiel has the courage to do what God is calling him to do because he was given a pretty difficult ministry. And so uh, he was going to uh, have a 22-year prophetic ministry, and it begins like this in chapter 1. It's, he says, in my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. Now, I love this, and that first thing we recognize is a vision, right? And so a vision is something that did not come and didn't originate from the prophet's own imagination, right? God opened up something, and he literally saw something amazing, a vision, right? And visions they represent things, right? They tell us greater truths, uh, which are an amazing thing. And, and also, what I love about this is he gives you the exact time and exact space that this took place. This was not a once upon a time fairy tale because scripture is not a once upon a time fairy tale. Look at the real time and real space. I mean, he's very specific uh, when this took place. So King uh, Jehoiachin was, uh, was taken cap in the uh, March of the year uh, 597. Right? So we can backdate to when that took place and all of those things uh, as to when this event took place. And he's referencing something that we find in Scripture in the book of Kings. Uh, let's go forward. There we go. Second Kings. Nebuchadnezzar took King uh, Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the prominent people of the land. So uh, we have Ezekiel as one of those prominent people. So we know when Ezekiel was taken captive. Um, this was a particular time. It was, uh, he received this vision on July 31st of the year 593 BC, uh, which I think is cool because July 31st is my birthday. So that was, uh, it was 2,615 years ago that he received this prophecy. It's an amazing thing. It's a, it's a truth that continues to give us courage even today. Now, where was he 2,615 years ago to receive this message? Well, he said he was, uh, he was by the Kabar River. And you'd say, well, where on earth is that? Well, here's a map because I have maps and I love them. Okay, so there's Babylon right there, and there was this little village right to the south of it called Tel Aviv, and there was a river that kind of connected the two, known as the Kabar River. So if you were in Babylon, that's, uh, it was a prominent river that you uh, kind of flowed right outside of town. And you'll notice, if you continue reading Ezekiel, that they said, well, go give this prophecy to some people that live in Tel Aviv. Well, that's, that's the village. That's where it was at. So it says in there that Ezekiel was 30 years old. It was his 30th year that he received this prophecy. Why is that significant? Because as a priest, that's the year he would start his priestly work, right? So he's ready to start, and he thinks he's going to have this, even though he is in captivity, right? Everybody's thinking, hey, we're going to go back home pretty soon, right? There were a lot of false uh, prophets at the time, you know, saying, you know, predicting the political collapse of Nebuchadnezzar and all these things. And, and so they all thought, well, this is a temporary stay and he's going to go back and he's going to work in the temple pretty soon. And everybody loves priests, right? And so this is a great thing. Not everybody loves prophets, by the way. Most of them get killed, right? And so he's going to start his new ministry. Things are going to be great. And then as right as he starts, God has a different direction for him. And uh, he hits this vision. So what is the vision? He says, I looked and saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing light and surrounded by brilliant light. And the center of the fire looked like glowing metal. Now, there's something interesting about 
this particular vision or things is there are going to be different stages in which you're going to go through. I think he went through them as well. And the first one is a what? Right? So you're going to read this and you're going to be like, what on earth? And then there's going to be a moment you're like, ah, right? And that's where he gets to. And then after that, you get to the, oh, and that's how we're going to end. So just understand right now you're in the what? Okay. That's all right. So he's standing there. He's in the pagan territory and, and he sees a windstorm in the north and it's all darkness and judgment and flashing and terrifying, right? And so, and he knows this thing, that this storm, this terrifying storm, which might be judgment and awful things, is coming from the north. Why is that significant? Well, look on the map. See, Babylon, you know, he sees, he's in Babylon, you have this storm coming out from the north, right? So that's pagan territory. That, that's not where God comes from. Where is Jerusalem? And if you said west, you'd be wrong, because... Jerusalem is actually south of Babylon. How is that so? The Fertile Crescent. You see that between Babylon and Jerusalem, there's that big area of kind of desert. It's death there. No one would travel, but there's a rivers and stuff that go around the north. And so when armies from that area of the world would attack Jerusalem, guess what path they would take? They would go around the crescent and they would come down from the north. Any storm that was going to come from the north... If you were a Jewish person, recognize these were the big, bad Gentiles, probably Assyrians, Babylonians. It was bad. And here he was already in Babylon, and there's still a storm from the north. What? That's not good. And so he sees this, and, and, and uh, he said, well, this couldn't be God because God is south of us. Right? If you're going to have a storm coming from the south, you're like, yeah, he's, God's going to get these bad guys. But it's not. It's coming from the north. This is doom. This is scary. See, God was in the south. Or was he? Because the next thing he sees, he says, I looked and saw, and the one source something on the north was a brilliant light was surrounding it. And in the center of the fire was like glowing metal. So the, he sees all the darkness, and all of a sudden, he recognized the darkness is actually surrounded by light. In fact, even in the middle of the, of, the thorn, of the storm was light, like brilliant, like metal that glows. What could it possibly be? Well, he keeps looking, and he finds this and tells us about it. He says, in the center of the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human. Now, in Isaiah 10, he describes these exact same creatures. He says, the ones that I saw earlier were cherubim, and as a priest... He would know exactly what cherubim were because in the temple, there was all this artwork of cherubim and on the temple, right? Or in the, uh, in the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the, you know, the cherubim, there was two cherubim that faced each other and that's where the glory of God would seat there. So he would be familiar with cherubim. He knew what he was looking for. And he was like, these four living creatures at first, they just looked human in appearance from the distance. And we know that these were cherubim. Well, cherubim were angels that have a very high position, obviously, that are able to minister before God directly. They have an extremely high position. And where cherubim are, often God is. But this is not where you would expect God to be in the middle of a storm coming down from the north. Well, he goes on to describe their, their appearance. These cherubim were different than most. He says, each of them had four faces and four wings. And their legs were straight. And their feet were like those of a calf that gleamed like burnished bronze, and under their wings were four, uh, so on their four sides they had human hands, and all four of them had faces 
and wings. It's important. He gives us detail that there's four beings and each of them have four faces. They have all these four wings and they have, these, they have human hands and all these things. So in there, he's going to talk, we'll talk about the faces in a little bit because he goes in a little more detail in the wings. But the human hands are interesting that these were able to do work, right? The human hands were the kind of the highest of the created things, right? We were able to do things, you know, ask your dog to open a door and it's going to be upset because no opposable thumbs, right? Human hands of dignity, able to do dignified work. It had straight legs, kind of like that of a man. These were not kneeling. They were, out, they were up. They were active, right? They were able to move in different direction. We know that they were, they, were, um, they were hooved, right? So they're able to move around all kinds of different materials. They, they were um, definitely more durable than human feet, right? They were able to be swift and to move. And they had legs that were like burnished bronze. What an interesting description, well, when we see heavenly visions or the, in Scripture, oftentimes the heavenly beings are described as having uh, kind of a burnished bronze appearance to their legs and things. In fact, in Revelation, when John uh, got to see uh, God and, and sees Jesus, this is how he describes him. He says, he says, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing water. Now he's describing Jesus. Like even he had the, these, this burnished bronze. It was an evidence of being heavenly. In that, and the burnished bronze, bronze was an element that was used in the temple, right? It was, there were bronze basins and things like this. It was a holy, uh, very expensive, very costly. As it showed perfection and purity. It was showed power because it was very, very strong. And so here we have these four beings, and they have these bronze legs that have, you know, straight and, and cast. They, these things were built to move. That's the point, right? And they move in holiness and in power and perfection. Now, then he explains, you have these four beings, he explains their formation. How do they show up? Well, verse 9 tells us, he says, the wings of one another touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. So they were in a square formation. It's kind of uh, a little bit... Difficult to read in here, but then as we go on later, you'll, they really describe how this was a square formation. So they had, they had basically four angels on four corners, and their wings basically would touch each other, okay? And so they were in this, this square formation. So that way, no matter where they moved, they were able to, to always move straight ahead. And then he describes not just the formation, but he describes their four faces, which were not what you would expect, the four faces that they have were this. They each had four faces, a face of a human being. And on the right side, they had a face of a lion. And on the left side, a face of an ox. And also each had a face of an eagle. And such were their faces. Now, if they did not turn when they moved, how could he see the face on the back? Well, because they were in a square formation, right? So one of the four faces was always facing forward. There was a man, there was an eagle, there was an ox, right? There, uh, he had one of each of the four. And why those four? Well, think about it. Humans were the pinnacle of creation, the highest of all things. That God made us to rule over all the things. Well, that makes sense that these angels would have that. But then the face of a lion, that is the king of the, of the wild and untamed beasts. Well, you have the ox, which is the king of the tamed beasts, the height of all of the, of the tamed animals. Of course, that's the one that God accepts as the greatest sacrifice that we offer. Then we have, uh, you, you have the eagle, which is the king of the air. You have the pinnacle of all creation, they're represented. I think that's pretty amazing. And then, of course, you have these, uh, the, the winged creatures. And so you have, uh, they had two wings spreading out upward, and each wing's touched that, the creature their side. That's how we know they were in a, a square, because if they were in a line, 
people and the, the angels on the end couldn't have their wings touching those of the ones beside them. They were all beside someone. And then uh, they, they had these two wings reaching out and then other two for modesty, right? So two for flight, two for modesty, which is pretty good. So we have these, these angels show up, right? And they're magnificent, and these cherubim, and they're powerful, and they're, what on earth are they doing? Well, verse 12 through 14 says, each went straight ahead. Wherever the Spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like that of burning coals, of fire, like torches, right? And then he goes on to say, fire moved back and forth amongst these creatures, and it was bright, and the lightning flashed out of it, and the creatures sped back and forth as flashes of lightning, these were quick and zippy, nimble beasts. They were all glowy and powerful and holy. Like everywhere they went, pew, pew, pew. And, and they didn't ever even have to turn. They didn't have to worry about turn radius because no matter where they went, it was always straight ahead. How cool is that? So you're able to go anywhere they wanted to as fast as you possibly could think. And at first he thought there was lightning shooting out, and then he recognizes just them like zipping around. That's pretty amazing. And, and there was something that they, they have, I mean, this was a pretty amazing sight. And then there was something else that was there with them that he, he recognizes and he begins to describe it. And he says this, and I looked at the living creatures and I saw a wheel on the ground besides each creature with its four faces. So they weren't alone. They had something mechanical with them, right? That, that helped aid them in their motion, motion. And there was four cherubim, four wheels. Each one had one. But these weren't like normal wheels, Right? These, were, these were unique wheels. He goes on to say, this appearance of the structure wheels, that they sparkled like topaz, which was like a, a greenish, yellowish uh, stone, right? So it had like this greenish, yellowish kind of glow about it. It was beautiful, right? And all four looked alike. So they're all the same. They matched a four set set. And, and then said, they appear to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. So you have a wheel this way, and at a 90 degree angle, there'd be another one. And there was a reason for that, right? So they could go any direction, because the four creatures could always go without turning. The wheels could also go without turning. A, a, a technological a miracle. And so you have these wheels that are, that are spinning. It says, as they would go, um, as they moved, they would go, and in one of the four directions, the creatures faced, so they were tied together. They were connected to these creatures, and the spiels, wheels did not change directions as the creatures went, so they were able to keep up. They also didn't have to worry about cornering uh, because everywhere they went was always straight ahead, right? And then the wheels are pretty great, but as anybody who's, you know, tricked out a car ever knows, if you got nice wheels, or nice uh, the wheels on the inside, you got to have to have nice rims, right? And, and check out these rims. It says their rims were high and awesome. Now, it's biblical awesome. Like, that's, right? And all four rims were full of eyes all around. You're like, what? Well, think about your car. It's got eyes all over it now, doesn't it? You got backup cameras, forward cameras, parking cameras, sensors on the right. So did, wherever this thing went, it knew exactly where it was going, right? This is pretty amazing. They were, this was not a chintzy set of wheels. This was really nice stuff. They were all glowy and green and beautiful, greenish yellow. They were, I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing. All seeing, uh, able to go over any terrain, any direction with perfect speed. But wait. There's more. He goes on to say, when the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Can your car fly? This one, 
These wheels, man, up and down, all around, right? They can fly anywhere on heaven or earth. This is truly all terrain. Ah, that's pretty amazing. And not only that, they're not going to go everywhere and be in all places lightning fast, but they see everything too. And it goes on. Verse 19, it says, wherever the spirit would go, they would go. These wheels were spirit-led, as apparently were the angels. Not directed on their own, which is how they kept nice tight formation everywhere they went. They were spirit-directed direct, by God himself. And as the wheels would ri uh, rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So they weren't just spirit-directed, but their own spirits were within them. They were tied together. And it goes on, it says, that when the creatures moved, they also moved. The creatures stood still, they stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels, they were tied deeply. Now, in, they, were, they were secured. Now, what was above their heads? Because this is a pretty amazing thing. And if you're right now are going, what? Wait till this. Okay? Because we see what's on the ground. We see these four creatures. And then right above them, in verse 22, it says, spread out above their heads of the living creatures was what looked like something like a vault. Now, that's not something to put money in. Um, a vault was something that was stamped out, like in the, like metal. When you stamp out metal or something, you have something nice, flat, big surface. In Genesis, when it said that God created the heavens and the earth, he spread out the sky as a vault, right? So it was like, and you'd look at from space, you know, you look at this, the atmosphere, it's like this thin, like they, well, this is what this was. It was like this thin sky above them, like a pressed out something. And what was it made of? Well, it was sparkling like crystal and also awesome. This is a pretty a sight to behold. It was all sparkly and beautiful. Kind of reminded him maybe of like, uh, you know, in those days when it's snowy and then the sun hits the snow and it just sparkles and brilliance, something like this, right? And not only did this particular thing look awesome, right? You have the wheels, you got the cherubim, you got the moving lightning fast, you got this sparkly vault above them. That looks pretty awesome, but it sounded awesome too, Verse 23 and 24, he says, And under the vault, their wings were stretched out towards one another. Each of them had two wings covering their body. And when the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. The sound of their wings was loud and aggressive. Like, rawr, rawr, right? it, was, it was something else. When they would move, there was a sound of power and a authority to it just shakes the ground and then when they stop everything quiet you know by this point ezekiel knows exactly what he's looking at right he he sees he sees this and the hearers of this message would know exactly at this point what they're looking at now for us not quite yet so we get the next thing uh we're going to find out what this thing is. In verse 25, he says, then there came a voice from above the vault, right? So you have all these things. You have the vault of sparkly crystal, and above it something, somebody talks. And they stood with lowered wings. How could you hear over that sound? Well, they stopped, and they stopped. It was quiet, and the voice was there. And above the vault over their heads was looked like a throne of lapis, lapis lazuli. And above, high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And, and uh, lapis lazuli is a blue, beautiful stone. And in the ancient world, it was highly prized as a sign of royalty, right? The highest form of royalty. To have a throne of this stuff? I mean, it was one thing to have like a necklace or a signet or a ring, but a throne of lapis lazuli is a pretty impressive, right? And then on there was a figure, someone who looked like a man, like a king. 
And, and then uh, it says, I saw from that what appeared to be from his waist up looked like glowing metal. It's full of fire. Well, this would be a heavenly being. We saw that earlier, right? The bronze and feet. And from the and that from the down looked like fire, as brilliant as light surrounded him, like he was glowy and just brilliant and bright. And it says, like the appearance of a rainbow on the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. He was so bright. It was like, you ever seen like the mist of the, 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 on like a, a foggy day and then the sun comes through and there's just like brilliant rainbows? He was radiant and just surrounded by all of this glory. And of course, we would say he saw God right on his throne, but he didn't. He says this, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This is, this is amazing, isn't it? What he saw, it was enough to change his life for the rest of the whole direction of everything he saw, and he didn't even see God. He saw the appearance. Did he see the appearance of God? No, no, no. He saw the appearance of the likeness of God. No, no, no. He saw the appearance of the likeness of God's glory. And that was enough. Now, my brothers and sisters, we get to approach the throne of grace with boldness and not just see the appearance of the likeness of God's glory, but get to see him face to face. Let that think in for just a second. But just the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God was, is breathtaking, isn't it? So what... What did Ezekiel see? How did God show up? Well, uh, we, we see that there's living creatures, and then there's a vault, and then there's a throne, and there's a king above, and it's moving around. What did they see? Well, most of us aren't familiar with these because our leaders don't travel around in these anymore, but maybe you saw the movie 300. Okay, maybe this will let you know. It's a mobile throne. Right? This is what he saw. In that 300, right, that movie that they had, you have King Xerxes shows up, and you have Leonidas, the other king, looking at it, and it's supposed to do it. And kings would travel around in these massive mobile thrones. And so you would have living creatures. And above the living creatures, you would have a vault. And above that, you would have a massive throne. And above, high above all of that, you would have your king. Right? And so God shows up in the way that, that the kings showed up in authority and in power. Why would you have this massive throne? Well, to show your royalty, to show the magnificence of your rule, to show the extent of your rule, because wherever that throne was, you were in charge. But of course, these thrones are missing something. And Leonidas, of course, picked up on this too. He's like, no wheels? Man, what a jalopy, right? Like the throne that Isaiah saw had wheels. But these ancient thrones didn't because wheels were reserved for chariots. And chariots were reserved for war. And so God shows up not just on a mobile throne where he would lead the battle from the back, but he shows up on the chariot where he leads the fight from the front. He's a king that is in charge and engaged. What an amazing thing. And so the vision that Ezekiel saw was that of God's royal throne and chariot, and it is one awesome ride. In fact, let's just take a look at some of the specs on this ride when Jesus, when God shows up, right? It's fully loaded, okay? It's got all kinds of cool things on it. It's uh, spirit-charged, right? It's got an eight-wing, uh, four-cherubim power, which is much better than my 326-cylinder turbocharged car, right? This, is, this blows that out of the water, okay? 
It's got uh, four-heel omnidirectional drive because you got all those, those straight legs going everywhere and four wheels with that too, by the way. It can go anywhere. It's lightning-fast acceleration. Anywhere it goes, it's always straight ahead, right? It's got infinite visibility. You're not going to run in anything or over something that you didn't know was there. It's going to know everything that's going on. Plus, it's got the full glory package, right? <laughs> You got the lapis lazuli seats. You've got the undercarriage that's the sparkly crystals. You got the running lights underneath. Got the gold and, and uh, yellow rims. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty sweet. That's what he shows up in, which is better than any ride that's ever existed. And it comes with all the authority and the power. And then we begin to see now why God shows up the way he did in a storm cloud. Because did you forget about that cloud? Now, are you ready for the, ah? See, he goes on to say in this, this passage where we, we show up that, that uh, Ezekiel's there in, in captivity. And he thinks, he thinks that the politics of the day, or be, be tempted to, were somehow bigger than his world, right? That God didn't come from the north. God couldn't come from the north. God was in the south, and where, where of course, the temple was, because God's tied to the temple, isn't he? And that... He was going to be given a vision or a, a uh, he's going to be given a call to tell his people that, you know what, this, this early invasion is just a foretaste. That the Babylonians are going to come down like a storm from the north and they're going to destroy the temple and they're going to take all of his implements and they're going to move all of the people up north and you're going to be captives for 70 years. And it would be really easy for the people to hear that and think that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and their great politics were somehow bigger than God. And they would see the darkness and they would fail to see the fire inside. And so, instead of asking where is God in the midst of this, God reveals himself to Ezekiel in the front end. He says, I'm here. Right? In fact, the key to this throne room today as we look at that is that God is in the storm and he's on the move. That when we look at, at the world and we look at circumstances in the world today, oftentimes we say, where can God be when our society is falling apart? Look at the dark clouds and the lightning and the thunder and God's not coming because he's not coming where I think he should and the pagans are just ruling the world and God shows up, uh-uh, I'm in this storm. I'm in the storm. In fact, he's not just in the storm. He's moving the storm. God was going to bring down the wrath of the Babylonians on his people to chastise them so that he could draw them back to him. And the first half of Ezekiel's ministry, you'll see these writings where God says, this is a hard and obstinate people. I'm going to make, in fact, Ezekiel, even his name says, God strengthens, makes hard. And he says to him, I'm going to make your head like as hard as the hardest rock right? You're not going to be worried about these dudes. You're going to go and speak truth. I want you to tell them these hard truths because I'm in this. And I'm going to bring chastisement because I love them. Because then the second half of Ezekiel's ministry, after Babylon fell and the people, or after Jerusalem fell and Babylon took them all captive, Ezekiel then has prophecies of God's restoration of the temple. God's restoration of his people, something that we're seeing fulfilled before our eyes today even, that God is at work and that God is a, is a God that is bigger than our circumstances. We have political parties and people, and people in, in positions of power and that are head of all of these social media things that are God-haters, much like Nebuchadnezzar. And they'll do things. They'll tear down our temples. Right? They'll destroy our people. They'll be suffering and pain because of their work. But let's remember this, brothers and sisters, that God is in the storm. Is God calling us 
to repentance? Is God calling us to faithfulness? Is God calling us to trust Him more than the external things? Is God calling us to see past the storm but to see the fire within it? Because I want you to know that God is in the storm and He is moving. And God is moving. I've read the end of the book. In fact, in two more weeks, we'll be in Revelation. And you'll get to see it's pretty awesome. I know who wins. And I know the God who is working all things together for His good and the good of those who love Him. And that means everything. Even today. And that's just not true on the big political on the big spectrum of things, it's true in our own lives. Because I know some of you right now in the midst of really dark storms, there is pain and there's brokenness, and you might be asking, where is God in this? How could God be here in this? In something that seems so broken, so awful, like the world has just gotten so dark. Don't lose heart. I want you to know that God is moving even now. We don't see him yet, but he's at work and we can trust him. And the brokenness doesn't win. Death doesn't win. Deceit doesn't win. We have all the corruption does not win. If you have been suffering because of an unjust world, hear this. God is in the storm and he is moving. And he's not just moving, he's moving on our behalf. But here's what differentiates us between those who preach a health and wealth gospel. They think God only moves along with the Care Bears on fluffy white clouds on nice sunny days. Our God is stronger than that. and He can move anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. That chariot lets us know that he is all-seeing, he is all-powerful, right? And, and, he has, and he is in all places. He can go anywhere. And God is with us. And he's in the cloud. And that is the oh. Because we can trust him. Does that alleviate us from our responsibilities as citizens to go and vote or to be good citizens and pay our taxes and obey by the law and all that because God's in control? No, I mean, look at the, the Israelites. What was their job? Turn back to him. In fact, we see that, as Ezekiel says, when I saw this, and he did, he did see God. He saw the appearance and likeness of the glory of God. And what was his? He says, I saw it fell face down when I heard the one speaking. And after that, he was ready to receive what God had to say so he could be obedient to carry out his will and his kingdom in his lifetime. And that should be our response. Let us remember who God is. There's a reason this vision was recorded for us. That God is present today. And he's not just in the storm. He's not just bigger than the storm. He's not just driving things. He's not just powerful. He's not just present. He's not just all-knowing. He's here now. His kingdom extends here. His throne is here. And now that we know that, Shouldn't our response be one of awe, humility, trust, obedience? For Ezekiel, it looked like this. He began a 22-year ministry, going to a people that didn't even listen to him, told him he was crazy at first. Five years later, the Babylonians come down and carry out the, the destruction of the temple. And he says, you know what? God is in that. And then God recommissions him and says, now I have a different prophecy for you, one of restoration, one of hope. And he carries that too in the midst of all the people being bitter against God, saying, God abandoned us. The Babylonians must be too big because they destroyed the temple and God is too weak. And he told them, no, God is not. God is on the throne. <laughs> he is good. And for 22 years, he had a prophetic ministry that kept the people and drove together, right? And drove them back to God. When we see the Lord, when he had an encounter with the Almighty, when we see who he is and remember the throne in which he rides upon, can we also be 
filled with awe, reverence, humility, and obedience. Doing our part, carrying out His kingdom in our lifetime for His glory. Well, how do you do that? As you know, I always give you next steps. Because you can't follow Jesus if you're standing still, because Jesus is on the move, right? He's in the storm, He's on the move. So what are some next steps you can take? as an expression of this, to understand his obedience to this. I think the first one is, why don't you memorize Hebrews 4.16? Do you understand the privilege we have of going to God's throne boldly? It's a pretty big deal. Why would we miss that? And when we feel terrified of, of God and what he's doing, let's remember that it's by we find grace when we're there. So maybe it's memorizing that passage and meditating on thinking about it. Remembering the goodness of God. Take some time this week. I've given you that connection card on the connection card, your, your memory verse. Take some time. Think about that. Pray about that. The next thing I want you to do, if you have time this week, and you should because it's not long, read Ezekiel 1 through 3. This is the vision. Now you've seen it. Go and read the thing and then see what God tells Ezekiel to do right afterwards. Right? You've got some context now because I think you'll find there may be some practical applications for you in this as well. On a more personal level, I'm going to challenge us this week. Can you trust God in the storm? If you right now are in the middle of a storm, if the darkness is just there, you see the clouds, the lightning, it's terrifying, it's painful, it's scary, you don't have answers to it. Instead of running in fear or believing that God somehow has been defeated or he's bigger than you or has forgotten about you, can you remember that God is in the storm and on the move? Can you say this week, I'm going to trust him until I find him? until I see the glow in the middle and the light around the silver lining on the outside, until I find it, I'm going to trust my God. My God is bigger than the storm. He's on the move. He's in it. Can you trust him this week? Make that commitment. Something else you might want to do, attend the next three weeks. You should attend every week, but why the next three weeks? Because we'll be in this series, and you want to see the rest of the throne room. You're going to see how God begins to reveal himself in greater and greater ways. And this isn't the only vision that we have of God's throne room, and there's a reason for that in Scripture. So come back and see God in His glory so that we can worship Him and serve Him with the confidence that seeing Him brings. Of course, something else I want to invite you to do, if you haven't done this yet, make Jesus your king. He's better than any political party. Let me tell you, we're go I hope you all vote. You all should go vote, right? But Jesus is better. Elect Him king of your heart, right? Realize that this king can destroy, but he also comes to save. And if you have not been saved by God's grace, then make today the day. We, we express that faith and our belief and our confession, our repentance. Oh, and baptism, and we're doing one of those today. So what a perfect day to make God your king. And if you need to make that decision, come speak with me or Pastor Jesse or any one of our elders or members after the service, and we're going to help you take those steps of faith. And then this afternoon, uh, you can be born again and... Uh, and what a great thing that would do. All right, so hopefully I've given you all something to do. On your connection card, let me know what it is so I can pray for you this week as you draw close to the Lord through your obedience. Also, if you've got a prayer request, mark that on your connection card because I pray for you. If I know how, even better. And also then after that, our fifth Sunday offering as we pass our baskets, take the offering, take your connection card, drop it in the offering basket along with your tithes and gifts with that and then after that stick around because we're gonna have a lot of good food and a hiding contest so let me uh, pray for us before we go father god you are king of kings lord of lords you ride in glory lord you are amazing and we're grateful that we get to be called your children 
that we don't have to run from you in terror as those and enemies, but Father, that we know that you come and you work in all things, even the hard and the difficult and the painful. Even in the scary, you're bigger than that. You even use the devil's work against the devil. Lord, you are amazing. And we are awestruck by who you are. Father, I pray that today and through the rest of this week and the rest of this month, as we go before your throne room in Scripture, that you would draw our hearts to yours, help build in us a right reverence for who you are so we can serve you with, with dignity and in truth and with righteousness. Draw out of us, Father, the, the faithfulness that is inside. And Lord, I pray too in these, the commitments that we've made today, help us to keep those away that, that bring us to you, Father, that bring you glory. Take the tithes and the gifts and the offering and, Father, even the fifth Sunday and use all those things to build your kingdom for your glory, for you are worthy. We pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. This time, uh, the ushers can come around and uh, collect our gifts and offerings. And as they do, would you stand with us as we sing this one last song of honor and praise to our King.
you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. You are dismissed.